Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, the book of James. What's the tagline? How to spot a phony Christian. Is that real? Is that a really uh, concept in the scripture? Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing the last 10 times, who's counting? I am, Christina. Uh, that, uh, man, that, this is not a foreign concept in the scripture. The scripture talks all about this over and over again. Okay, with what? Fake, false teachers, false apostles, false prophets, false brothers. What's that? Fakers. Right? In the church, not just in the world. Okay? And the good news is God doesn't just tell us this is going to happen. He tells us how to what? Spot them so we can deal with them. Unfortunately, we've been seeing, in my theory, the reason why we're in such great apostasy in the church today is because we're not doing that. We're not taking God's word serious. We're not being good Bereans. God tells us how to spot them so we can deal with them. We're not not only doing that, but now they're comfortable in the church. They've been that way for decades, but they've gone from the pew. Now they're behind the pulpit and they're running the show. And that's why things are so messed up. Okay, but we're going to continue that journey today. How to spot a phony Christian, the book of James chapter one. Let's go ahead and turn there. James chapter one, verses one through four. And believe it or not, this is your time to shine. This is your Sunday, Ron. We are getting into, wait for it, dramatic pause. A new verse. Woo! That's right. Verse four. Now it might take 19 weeks to get through verse four, but hey, we're in a new verse. I'm just going to sit on that. James chapter one, verse one through four. Let's take a look at uh, this incredible book. James, of course, was written by James. Man, that internship ministry is paying off. You guys are great. James chapter one, verse one through four. Here's what he says. James, a what? A servant of God and of who? The Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, At this point in time, before they were scattered among the nations, it was made up of primarily Jewish Christians. So he's talking to the church at that time. Greetings, he says. And the first thing right out of the gates, what did he say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever life goes your way. Oh, I'm sorry. What's he say? Whenever, not if, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds. What? Are you serious? Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. Here it is. New verse. Perseverance must. It has to. Finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, right? You may be seated if you can, but let's recap again the purpose of this book. James was, believe it or not, the very first New Testament book chronologically ever written. Now, it doesn't appear that way in our Bible, but it was. It was the first book ever written. And right out of the gates, he gives acid tests of how to spot phony fakers in your midst, i.e. in the church. You're like, well, why would he do that? Well, because Satan's evil and he's got an evil plan. He couldn't stop Jesus Christ from going from the cross. He couldn't stop Jesus from rising again from the grave so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. He couldn't stop the birth of the church. And praise God, when you, got, you get saved, he can't take away your salvation. So he quit. And he's been working at Walmart ever since. No, right? Well, no. What, he, he's so stinking evil. He knows his gig is up. He's so stinking evil. He knows he's headed for the lake of fire. Jesus defeated him on the cross, right? The scripture says he came to destroy the works of the devil, not only provide forgiveness of our sins, but listen, he's so evil. He's now, he couldn't stop the church and going out there and sharing the good news. Anybody can be saved now. So now he's been flooding. This is what you read throughout the New Testament. And James, he catches it. He, he, he's out there trying to flood the church with as many false teachers, false gospels, uh, false everything, false brothers. Why? So that when the lost come in our midst, they get a false gospel and a false Jesus, which means they're not saved and they join him in the lake of fire. So right out of the gates, right? You got James under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He provides his first book that's going out to the church in mass. Hey, I'm going to give you some indicators. You might have one of these fakers in your midst so you can deal with them, okay? And the first test that he throws out there is trials, right? How do you handle trials? Now, it's not just going through trials because we all go through trials. Even the lost go through trials. What was the caveat? The issue is, do you have joy in your trials? And the reason why that's an acid test for Christians is because, number one, that's what Jesus did. 
He endured the cross for the joy set before him. But number two, when you become truly born again, what happens? At the moment of salvation, what happens? Bang! You are indwelt with what? The Holy Spirit of God. And then he begins to produce his what? His fruit in you. What's the second fruit? Love, number one? Joy. And then peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, on it goes. So the ability to have joy, period, let alone joy, believe it or not, supernaturally, even in the midst of your trials, is possible if what? You're truly born again. Because you got the Spirit of God, and he produces that in you. So the question is, if you don't have joy, and you never have joy, even in the midst of your trials ever, then you only got two things, two conclusions. Either you're a baby Christian or a backsliding Christian, and you need to grow up or get back on track with Christ. Or number two, maybe the reason why? Oh, you go to church services. Oh, you got dunked in water. You might be even helping stack chairs. But that don't save you. The reason why, as Paul says in Romans 8, you don't have the spirit of Christ. You don't belong to Christ. That's why there's no joy, okay? And so that's what he throws out there, okay? And then we've been camping on this aspect. He says, what? You're going to have not just trials. You're going to have many trials, all kinds of trials, and I'm supposed to be joyful about that? We've been camping on that for the last several weeks because what's the problem? These fakers that were in the pews at some point became the pulpit, and they're starting to spread false teaching, which includes the false teaching that when you come to Christ, you're not going to have trials. You have perfect health and perfect wealth, and and everything's always going to go your way, and high self-esteem and financially. Are you kidding me? And so we've been camping on that, okay, to show us that that is, in fact, not true. James tells us just one of the good things that God's going to give you in your trials, and that's perseverance, which, again, is defined as complete, mature Christians lacking nothing. How many guys would like to have that character? Then turn to somebody and say, bring on the trials, right? Because that's what James says. That's just one good thing that God is going to give us uh, in our trials. And knowing that, that there's something good in this, it gives us joy. And, and, and again, that's why he says there, it's not just trials, it's many kinds. It's poikilos. I got it in one more time. <laughs> poikilos in the Greek means various colors, variegated, diverse, sorts, various multiple kinds. God ain't just going to send you some trials. He's going to send you all kinds of trials from this angle and that angle and this size, that size, that color. Why? Because he's going to do various good things with it. Why? Because God has promised for every true born-again Christian, he's the one that's in control. He's going to do all things together for good, including your trials. And that's what James is saying, right? And he says, in fact, you need to consider this. It's the Greek word hegomai, and it means to listen, not just consider like, hmm, that thought's in my head. It means to literally look forward. You look forward. There's got to be something good in this trial. And then he adds to this the word no, gnosko. It's not just a head knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge in the Greek, okay? And what he means is, how many times do I got to go through this? God took me care of this one. He's going to take care of this one. How many guys ever went through a trial as a Christian? Raise your hand. Now, the rest of you, you're either lying, okay, or take heart. It's coming next week or something. Because <laughs> you're going to go through it, right? And this is what he was saying. He says, you gotta, listen, you got to understand what's going on here. Uh, how many times God brought you through this one and you something good came from it, and then he brought you through that one, and however many lists you got so far, well, guess what? That's what he says. You know experientially, you look forward then. He's consistent. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to do something good with this one. Or if you're not going through one, whatever one you go through in the future, and when you realize that and you put it all together, it's like, wow, pure joy. I'm always going to come out on top if I just do what God says to do. It's amazing. I'll take that any day of the week. You sow a seed to my ministry and you're going to get a Cadillac and you're going to... (laughs) You liar. Right? And then that was just perseverance. We've been taking a look the last several weeks to drill us into our head because of these false teachers, right? Telling us this lie. You're not going to have trials. 
okay? Uh, we've been looking at all the other biblical reasons that God, does, perseverance is just one of them, okay? We took a look at God will also use it to expose your sin nature, to keep you from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause you to be a blessing to others, to teach you that God is God and, and we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, to make us more joyful, to make us more loving, to produce a powerful testimony, to produce a powerful character, to get you steered into a new direction, to get you to appreciate fellowship, to get you to build your faith, to get you to return to him, to get you to witness to him, to teach you the power of praise. And then last time, if you were here, we saw it was to purify your service, to discipline you and praise God. If you're not a Christian, Hey, he's trying to get you to go to heaven. And last time I checked, that's some good stuff, right? And this is what James is trying to get through our heads, man. As true born again, Christians, as God's children, listen, he's not being some sort of cosmic terrorist. When he allows challenges to come your way. He's not trying to torture us. He loves us. He loves us so much. He will make sure that he will take every problem, every pain, and turn it into a good purpose. Isn't that amazing? That's a comfort. That'll give you joy in the midst of your trial. Okay? And this is why James says, man, remember in the Greek, it was continuance. It's not just once in a while. He says what? Literally in the Greek there, be constantly rejoicing. Why? Because God's constantly in control, constantly doing something good. Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. Whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials, which surrounds you, you know God's going to do something wonderful with this, and you just can't wait to see it, right? Okay, now we get to the next verse, verse 4, and believe it or not, there's a caveat. Now, what's in, uh, uh, amazing about this is all that we said was good, but did you know we can ruin it? Yeah, okay, yeah, God's in control. He's doing something good. Yeah, yeah, I know there's some good things. It's God's But you can mess it up. Listen, here it is. You have to let the trial run its course. You have to. And that's what he's saying here. It isn't just, here's your acid test. Do you have joy in the midst of your trials? Christians can do that. But the second thing is, do you have submission? Do you submit to God and his good plan and purposes in your trial? And that's what James says. If you don't do that, uh, that you're going to create some big problems. Okay, and again, so let's analyze verse four now in the original language. On the left there, the the translation we read, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Literally in the Greek says this, but be allowing, literally let the affirmation patience to be having its complete work. Why? In order that you may be spiritually mature and complete in every detail, lacking in nothing. And so he now gives you, listen, an order. This is a command. It's an imperative. You must You have to do this. You've got to let that trial finish its good work. You don't stop it. You don't resist it. You don't run from it. You don't hate it. You don't resent it. And you certainly don't do what the devil wants you to do. Start shaking a fist at God. Are you kidding me? Submit to it. God's the one that's in control. And he's already promised you I'm going to do something good with it. But you've got to let it finish its work. Okay? It's a command. Literally, let it do its job. The idea, again, in the Greek there is submission. I submit to this. And I want to learn whatever it is, God, you're trying to teach me through this. Okay, you don't, just, you don't just ponder it. You don't consider it for later. You don't think, well, maybe one of these days I'll get around to it. You submit to it. It's a command. And the reason why, it's common sense. If you don't, here's the caveat. You have to do this. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on all the great stuff. He mentions here, otherwise, you're going to miss out on what? Becoming Christian, spiritually mature, complete in every detail, lacking nothing. Not destroyed, not obliterated, not ruined. God doesn't do that to us. He's allowed it to make you stronger, better, not bitter. But you got to submit to it. Or, guess what? You're going to take a lap. You ever take a lap when you walk with Christ? 
Turn to somebody and say, don't take a lap. Learn the lesson the first time. And you can think about it. You've got to do this. Let's go back to what we just reviewed. If you don't let that trial do what it's supposed to do, and you resist it, you run from me, you're not going to take a lap. You're going to miss out on all the great stuff. Let's just do a quick recap again. You're going to miss out on this gift that God's trying to give you, perseverance. The ability to bear up under pressure or a pain and not be crushed. Wouldn't you like to have that? Then you must let it finish its work. You have to do this. But not only that, as we saw, to expose your sin nature so you can grow in holiness, to be kept from becoming spiritually lazy, to be used of God to be a blessing to other people, to learn that God is God and we are not, to become more like Jesus, uh, to be protected from wasting your life, to be made more humble, to be made more joyful, to be made more loving, to produce a powerful testimony, to produce a powerful character, to be steered into a new direction, uh, benefiting from powerful fellowship, to build your faith, to get you to return to God, to be a witness for God, uh, to learn the power of Praise to be freed from depression, right? That's a fantastic gift to purify your service, to, to getting spanked by God for your own good. Aren't you glad that God loves you enough that when you get off track, he'll spank you back on? Or are you just sitting there? No, I'll stay in this ditch, right? Or if you're not a Christian, to get you to heaven. You must. It's an imperative. It's a command in the Greek. You have to let this trial finish its work. Or you're going to end up living a life, spiritually Christian, like this guy. How many of you guys remember this movie? Watch this. Groundhog time. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Man, Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Phil? Ned Ryerson? Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. What a waste of time. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no ill or mouth. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no ill or mouth.
bother. Let's get you someplace warm. Yeah. Yeah. Remember me? What was the tagline of the trailer? But to get what his heart wants most means living the same day over and over again. What? Until he gets it right. And can I tell you something? If you learn this show as a Christian, God will do the same thing to us spiritually. Yes, he will. To get what he wants, his heart, what his heart wants most, what? To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. To get us to act like, speak like, live like, behave like Jesus as his representation on earth. He will use trials to get the job done. And this is what James is saying. You've got to get this through your head. No wonder it's an imperative. It's an order. You must let those trials finish their work. Don't try to stop them. Don't resist it. Don't run it. Don't hate it. Don't resist it. You must let them do what they're designed to do. If you don't get it, guess what? Groundhog Day! You're going to do it again. And then you get mad at life. And you smash that alarm clock. You throw that alarm clock. And I can't believe it's happening again. When's it ever? Maybe you need to learn the lesson. I got trying to get through your head. So you can move on to the next one. If you're sick and tired of taking laps, stop taking laps. And this is what James says. You have to let that trial and the lesson and the good thing that God's designed that trial finish its work. Now, we say we know that. We, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Sure, Pastor Willie. But we don't. We do the exact opposite. When trials come, we do resist. We run. We stop. We resist. We hate. I've heard stories of even so-called Christians saying, I'm mad at God. Excuse me? You have to let that thing finish its work. Or are you going to live the same day over and over again? Now, since we have a hard time submitting to this, okay, I want to share with you three things that I've learned personally as a Christian that will help us to realize, in fact, yeah, I just need to submit to this, acknowledge that God's in control, he knows what he's doing, and learn it the first time so I can avoid what? Groundhog Day, right? And so this is what you need to do. And the first thing we're going to deal with is you need to realize, Christian, the scriptural truth, nothing is by chance. Not even your trials. You get that? You see, when you think your trials are just willy-nilly, it's all by chance, then you get all frustrated. And you'll miss out on the lesson. You won't submit to it. You won't let it finish its work. Okay, everything is ordered of God. Now, I didn't say that. He did. Let's take a look at these passages of Scripture. 1 John 3, 20. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows some things. Oh, I'm sorry. What's it say there? Hello, he knows everything. And it isn't just that God knows everything. God plans everything. Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but who's in control here? But the Lord determines his steps. The Bible says God doesn't just know some things. He doesn't know just a few things. He knows all things. In fact, he is ordering all things. And the scripture says, Romans 8, 28, if you're a born-again Christian, he works all things, including your trials for good. Amen. Nothing's by chance. Which means everything you're going through really is a lesson for you to learn. And if you just submit to it and learn from it and grow from it, then you move on to the next one. Have you learned that, listen, as a Christian, you don't get to second grade until you pass first grade. And how many Christians do you know? Oh, you might have been saved for a while. You might have been saved for years, but you're still in first grade. You haven't really matured. I like the writer of Hebrews. He's almost kind of like uh, uh, blown away by it. He said, like, by, by this time, you guys ought to be teachers. But, I, uh, but I, I gotta, I'm still having to do with the baby stuff. How could that happen? Because you're resisting. You're not growing. You're not letting it, the lessons, they're coming your way every single day, but you, you refuse to learn from them. And so you live it over and over and over and over again. 
But you've got to realize nothing is by chance. Okay, and I want to demonstrate that to you so we can get that through our heads. I mean, nothing. God orchestrates everything together for our good. And when you get that, it's like, okay, God, not just, oh, I'll submit to you when things are going great. This is fantastic. What about the trials? Do you have that same submissive attitude? That's what James is trying to get through our heads. Now, let me demonstrate to that real quickly, all aspects of life, not just trials, everything. God is the one that's in control. Okay, and the first thing, it's not by chance where you work. But see, that's our problem. We just think it's just something that I chose to do. It's just some random occurrence. Are you kidding me? Right? I love this passage of Scripture. Acts 15, verse 18 says this, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Whoa. So God not only knows all things, but he knows everything that would ever happen from the beginning of the world. And so here's the logical conclusion. If God knew all the works that he was going to do from the beginning of the world, then don't you think he would know where we would work? Of course. He knows everything, right? And so therefore, as the scriptures, I submit to this. I submit that there must be a good reason why I'm working where I work and I put myself in this attitude of submission to learn whatever he's trying to teach me and then I can move on to the next one. You get it? But see, that's what we say we believe, but we don't live it. And we act like our workplace is just, you know, it's, it's by chance. And our priorities get all messed up. We think the main reason why we work where we work is just a paycheck. Got to pay the bills. And so here's the problem. Once we, you know, something goes wrong in our workplace, our employer, our fellow employees, we get all upset. We get anxious and worried and we start creating problems on top of our problems. Like, whoa, no, no. It's not by chance where you work. And it ain't just about yourself or money. I'll guarantee you, folks, the first reason why God's got you there of all places is because that workplace is a mission field, right? It's common sense. If you are a Christian and you happen to work with non-Christians, why did God put you there? To be a secret agent Christian. (laughs) Oh, you've heard stories of people playing that game. They work their tail off trying to make sure that nobody knows that they're really a Christian. Again, it's not here. It's probably way down South America. Way, 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 way far. And it all starts in that lunchroom. And you know as a born-again Christian, you better pray for that food. Or you're going to get worms or something horrible. You don't know what I'm saying? But you should pray for your food, right? But what if somebody sees you? They're going to say, he's a Christian, she's a Christian. The secret agent goes like this. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Are you serious? God hasn't called us to be secret agent Christians, not even at work. They need to know you're a Christian. Because that's what God's got you there. If they don't know Jesus Christ, hello, that's a common sense. He's got you there. It's a mission field, right? But our problem is, oh, no, uh, uh, okay, maybe I'm not a secret agent Christian. They know I'm a Christian, but I I don't witness. I don't share with them because I I I can't witness. I mean, I've never put together a 47-week study like Pastor Billy. I I don't know. I don't have these big, giant theological treaties and these membership classes and answer all these skeptical questions like Pastor Bobby. I just can't witness. You know what? Stop making it so difficult. Sometimes, let's just use what you got for Christ. It might be something as simple as just sing a song about Jesus and witness to people. Like these guys, watch this. One of our co-workers, we overheard him singing, and he was singing a part. So, Paul, we thought we would call this guy in and help us sing. Would you like to hear three parts this time 
Paul, come on in here. This name guy, this guy's name is Paul Bigger, and he's a pastor. He's a pastor. We are contractors and we're singers. So we are the singing contractors and we're going to sing a song for you. It has been requested. How great thou art. Then sings my soul. way to witness and nobody even asked him about how to explain dinosaurs even though if you do your homework there's a biblical explanation for that but do you see the issue that's what we do okay i can't i don't know what do something i say it all the time throw the holy spirit a bone give him something to work with just do something if you do nothing nothing's going to happen but you're there for a mission field the other good reason why god's got you there's not by chance is it's a training ground, right? If you want to move from uh, getting the Bible from your head to your heart, guess what needs to happen? You need a training ground. You need a workout center, right? Because we all know that's how you get big muscles, right? You sit around and you, uh, you put the dumbbells underneath your uh, pillow, and next day you wake up, and, and your, your, your jacket's bulging like Pastor Billy. Yeah, we wish that's how it would work, but no, you need a place. You need a workout center. You need training. If you're going to develop your spiritual muscles, you need a training ground for that too. And so here's the wisdom of God, man. Think about this. It's not by chance. Are you kidding me? What better place to learn how to love like Jesus than be surrounded in a workplace full of people who don't know Jesus? Especially those who really don't love Jesus. They come after you. I worked at one of those places for seven years while I was going to Bible college. And seminary at night. But that is, was God's training ground. To, I call it, that's where I learned to cut my teeth on witnessing. Every possible skeptical question you could possibly think of. And I was a brand new Christian. I, of course, I didn't know necessarily everything right off the bat, obviously. So I had to go and find But guess what? God used that to build my spiritual muscles. And be a witness to those people. Okay? It's not by chance you work where you work. It's by the creator of the universe. He's ordering it. And once you understand this, it not only becomes a powerful ministry. But listen, you submit to that. And then you're going, okay, God, I want to learn from this. I want to learn what you're trying to teach me. You know why? Because if you don't, and you resist it, and you don't catch it, you know what's going to happen? Groundhog Day! You're going to do it all over again. I'm telling you, he's consistent. He's more concerned about your character than your comfort. Second thing, not by chance where you work, it's not by chance where you live. But see, that's just it. See, we just chose that place. It was our doing. It's just some random occurrence. No, you can't. Mm-mm. There's reasons why God's got you exactly where you are right now. And this is what we see here, Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Jesus speaking, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will 
of your father. And listen, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So God not only knows all things, but he knows everything about us, even to the point of every single hair on our head. They're actually all specifically, individually numbered by him. And granted, for some of us, that's a bigger feat for God to do than others. But I'm not going to go there because we're going to have a great time of fellowship, not a church split again over that issue. But here's the whole point. Listen, if God knows, listen, every hair on our head, and he does, then don't you think he would know every place we'd ever live? Of course, it's common sense, but here's the problem. We think it's by chance. It's by chance where we live, and our priorities get all messed up. We think, nope, it's just for a place to relax. That's why I exist here. It's just all about me, 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 and my home, my... Do-. No, it's not. And then when we think that, and then something goes wrong with our neighbors or neighborhood or area, we get all upset about it because you're messing with my relaxation, with my house, with me, 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 right? And then you start getting anxious and worried, and you create more problems instead of... The number one reason why God's got you where you're at, any by chance, is a mission field. Anybody starting to see a pattern yet? Right? If you're in not just a workplace, but a neighborhood surrounded by neighbors who don't know Jesus, why has God got you there? To witness to them. Right? Common sense. Second thing is a training ground. Right? That's common sense, right? Again, if you want to become a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word, then what needs to happen? You need some place to put all that into practice. And listen, beyond the workplace, beyond just the microcosm of a work environment, Think about the wisdom of God this. What better place to learn to love like Jesus than not just in a microcosm of workplace, but a whole neighborhood of people who don't love Jesus. And then when you're done at work, you get to keep doing it at home. (coughs) I get choked up about it every time. But you submit to that. You submit to that, and you can grow in it. The third thing is this. It's not by chance. I love this one. It's not by chance who you married. Who you married. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, i got to take a drink of water for this one. <clears throat> this one. Oh, how many times do we do this? And if it wasn't for that person, I'd marry <laughs> No, that wasn't by chance. God paired you together for a reason. Watch this. Psalm 139, 16 says this. <clears throat> but with your own eyes, God, speak, speaking about God, with your own eyes, God, you saw my body being formed even before I was born. Watch this. You had written in your book everything I would do. Whoa, and he still loves you, and he still saved you for Jesus. Isn't that awesome? But here's what we see here. The Bible says this. Listen, God not only knows all things, but he knows everything we've ever done before we even did it. Isn't that amazing? This is awesome. So if God knows everything we would ever do, then don't you think he knows to whom I'd say I'd do too? Yeah. So there's got to be a good reason why we married that person. Yes, that person. But this is our problem. We think it's by chance. I don't know if she's by chance. It was just some choice I made, good, bad, or ugly. Right? At first it was good, but then later, well, what a, I must have had a high fever of 112. I don't know what was I doing. Right? And then they're thinking the same thing about you and all that kind of stuff, right? And then we think it's by chance. Then our priorities get messed up. And sure enough, as soon as your spouse does something you don't like, you get all, you create problems on top of your problems when reality is this you both got problems. In fact, some of the problems is you think you don't have problems. Like the one guy says, you know, hey, I, 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 I knew I was marrying Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. <laughs> How many guys can observe that my wife is not here today? <laughs> you discerning Christians, right? 
Uh, no, but seriously, right? They think you think it's always them. I deal with this all the time in counseling, you know, marital counseling. And the biggest challenge is to try to get both of them to admit that you're both a part of the problem. Because we're sinners, right? We both make mistakes, all of us. Some, you know, some may be a little bit more lopsided, but you still, it takes two to tango, all that kind of fun phraseology. And usually when people come into counseling, they sit there, they don't say this, but their body language tells me they're just here to go, I'm only here so you can fix them. <laughs> and the biggest challenge is to get, no, it's both of you. Both of you need to make adjustments. And those problems are there because God's trying to teach you something good. In fact, it reminds me of this couple. This young couple had finally decided to get married, but as the big day approached, they grew very apprehensive, and that was because each one, listen, had a problem that they had never shared with anyone ever before, not even each other. Big mistake. And so the groom-to-be, he's overcoming his fear. He decides to ask his dad for advice. He says, Dad, he says, man, I am, I am deeply concerned about the success of my marriage. I, I, I love my fiancé very much, but, Dad, you see, I, I've got very smelly feet. I mean, Dad, they're awful. I mean, in fact, they're so bad, I'm afraid that my future wife, she's going to be totally put off by them. So he asked his dad, what a dad, dad's fix everything, right? We always have a solution. So his dad said this, hey, man, no problem. All you got to do is this. All you got to do is wash your feet as often as possible and always wear socks, even to bed. So the groom, he said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'll try that. Well, meanwhile, the bride-to-be, she's overcoming her fear. She decides to take up her problem with her mom. And she goes, mom, mom, I got a problem. Mom, when I wake up in the morning, I mean, mom, I'm telling you, my breath, it is truly, truly awful. And the mom says, well, come on, man. Everybody's got bad breath in the morning. She goes, no, mom, you don't understand. My breath is so bad. I'm afraid that my new husband, he won't even want to be in the same room with me. And so the mom, she simply said this, stop eating chicken. No, I put that in there. (laughs) All right, here's what she really said. She said, try this. She said, in the morning, get straight out of bed, man, and head for the bathroom, right, and brush your teeth, right? The key is not to say a word until you brush your teeth. Not a word. So the bride-to-be, she thought, hey, it's pretty good. She decided to give it a try. So sure enough, the loving couple, they were finally married in this beautiful ceremony, not forgetting the advice that each one of them received, and he with his perpetual socks, and, and her with her morning silence, and they managed quite well until six months later. Shortly before dawn, the husband, he wakes with the start to find out that one of his socks had come off. Yeah, so he's freaking out, right? And, and, and so he's fearful of the consequences. He's frantically searching the bed. Well, this woke up his bride, and without thinking, she immediately asked, what on earth are you doing? And he says, oh, no, you swallowed my sock. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, they've made it 40 years later. Give it up for John and Ruth. Way to do it. Way to hang it in there. Awesome. Way to suck it to us, John. I tell you what. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air, Ruth, to hear that good news. Isn't that the game we play? It's always the other person. It's just by chance. If they would just stop what they're doing. Then you... No, it's not by chance who you marry. And can I tell you something? God strategically put you two together on purpose. Listen to expose the areas that you need to work on because you both got a sin nature that we still have to deal with. We're not perfect. And so the other person acts as a spiritual mirror. Listen, have you learned this yet? You wouldn't know the problems you had. And in fact, you thought you were pretty cool. Problem free. It's obvious that's why they married you. <laughs> but after you get married and you find out that they blow up that toothpaste tube like a volcano 
And then they do the toilet paper totally wrong. We all know it's supposed to go over the top, not underneath. Come on. You live with them long enough, and you're going like, they point out things that, guess what? I guess you got some areas to work on too, don't you? And then you do the same thing for them. God's trying to teach you through the other person. And listen, they're custom-tailored because only that person, if you learn this one, only that person, your spouse, can bring out sometimes not the best, but the worst. But at that point, then you could surrender to God and grow from it and learn from it, right? It is not by chance who you married. Okay, in fact, oftentimes, uh, you know, when you're young, right? We got some young couples here. How many of you guys as older couples, when they always announce that they're getting married, you're smiling, but you're smiling for a whole different reason. <laughs> you young fools, you have no idea what you're heading. No. <laughs> you know it's true. Right? <laughs> Uh, yes, my wife is gone. But if I haven't said that, no, no. But seriously, <laughs> but seriously, they don't go away. As you get older and you work through your problems, like the socks and the brushing the teeth thing, and, and but as you get older, then it's just another set of problems, right? Like this guy. Let's see if this sounds familiar. We got married last Friday. My girl was right there beside me. Our friends were all gone. We were alone, side by side. We were so happily wed when she got ready for bed then. Her teeth and her hair she placed in a chair. Side by side One glass eye so tiny One hearing aid so small Then she took one leg off And placed on the chair by the wall I stood there broken hearted most of my girl had departed. I slept on the chair. There was more of her there. <laughs> By side. See what you got to look forward to? Side by side. You first get married, it sucks and bad breath, and next thing you know, you get a missing leg or something. I don't know about but it's not by chance. Just because you have problems and challenges like that, whatever, it, it doesn't mean you married the wrong person. You need to submit to the fact that it wasn't by chance and God's trying to teach you something. And real quick, number one, it's a mission field. Now, I'm not saying, let me clarify, that it's okay for a Christian to marry a non-Christian. In fact, the Bible forbids that. And I could be up here in all seriousness and tell you horror stories of men and women who violated the Scripture and have gotten unequally yoked, and still to this day, it's an absolute torment. Don't violate the Scripture. And don't like, well, they sort of, sort of, kind of, maybe could be a Christian. That ain't the Christian you want. Were they a Christian long before you ever showed up? And if they can't answer a simple question, what church you go to and what area of service are you serving Jesus Christ right now and who have you led to the Lord, dump them. I'm telling you, learn horror stories about that. So I'm not saying that, but what, here's my point. Sometimes two unsaved people can get married and then one of them gets saved. 
So what does God want the saved spouse to do? To be a mission field, to witness to that person. Or maybe you are both saved, but uh, you, have you guys learned you marry into families? Right? And then sometimes the outlaws, you know, or in-laws, or, you know, you got to... Uh, if they're not saved, then what are you supposed to do? It's a saved couple. You're supposed to witness to them, right? It's common sense. But again, real quick, the second reason is a training ground. If you want to move from being a baby Christian to a mature Christian, then what needs to happen? You need some place to put all this into practice, right? And so what better place to practice every single day, not just at work, not just in your neighborhood or where you live, but being with that person, yes, that person, every single day to learn how to deal with your sin nature than somebody else who also has a sin nature. You see the wisdom of God? Again, that other person becomes, listen, if you didn't marry that person, you wouldn't be learning the lessons God's trying to teach you because it takes that person and that person's personality to bring it out. It's not by chance. It's not by chance. And when you submit to that, then you're saying, wow, God, teach me what what I need to learn. Through my spouse. Before you change my spouse, change me, God. And when you get that, you know what that stops? Groundhog Day! And you're going to do it all over again. Now let me give you one more, and we'll close. The fourth thing, believe it or not, it's not by chance when you die. You were born on time, you're going to die on time. It's just God's time. I didn't say that. He did. He's the author of our life and faith, the finisher of our life and faith. Job 14, 5. You, speaking to God, have decided the length of our lives... You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Now, this is awesome. God not only knows all things, but he knows everything about us, even to the point of the exact day when we die. That should be common sense, because he's the author of life. But we have a hard time believing this. We, we just, it's just some random occurrence. What? No. In fact, let me share this with you. I came across this video, and to me, this is a powerful way in real life that God demonstrates the truth of what he tells us in the Word. In the Bible, that he, you don't see it, I don't see it, but each one of us has a clock ticking over our head. Some of us get more, some of us get less. It's God's time. But he showed this Christian prior to his death that he was going to die, and God did that for a good reason. Because he allowed the man to make good preparations after his departure. Watch this, this is pretty cool. Hello, everybody. Um, if you're watching this, something bad probably happened to me. Um, I had this dream last night that, or this morning, I mean, only a few minutes ago, that I died early, and I don't know what to take of it. So I had all these instructions going through my mind on what I would say, like on my last day of dying. And I don't know if this is God's way of saying record this. And it was divinely inspired, or if I'm just paranoid, paranoid, or what. So I wanted to record my thoughts while I had them. I could then remember this vague memory of, uh, in the middle of the night, Eric getting back in bed, and I and I just kind of rolled over, and he gave me a hug, and so it kind of woke me up, and I said, "Where have you been?" Because I realized he was gone, and he said, "Oh." I was making a video. He's like, I had this terrible dream that I died. It didn't enter my mind at all when he died to go and, oh, I should go look for that video he made. I, I totally forgot about it. So it was a complete surprise when I pulled that out and we sat down right away. 
to watch it. My family means so much to me. You guys are a close second to God. But you mean a whole lot to me. And I want you all to know that I'm in a really good place right now. I thought my life was going to be a lot longer, but it wasn't. And this is God's will. It's perfect. I just, I'm crying because I didn't think this would be this hard, but it is. The gist of the video was to give a lot of um, instruction for what he would like to happen with both myself and the kids if something happened to him. Uh, it had, a, of course, a lot of uh, Christian instruction as well in there. Okay, Heather, this is tough, but I need to tell you that I don't expect you and I don't want you to be single. <sighs> Raising these boys is way too tough. Your job, if you choose to accept it, no, you don't get to choose, you have to accept this, is that I need you to re, I want you to remarry, and I'm not crying out of jealousy, I'm crying because I'm thinking about being gone from you. <laughs> I love you so much, and at the time of recording this, I don't know if the fifth kid's a boy or girl but whatever it is which is probably a boy they <coughs> they need a father and you need to remarry probably what sticks with me the most is um, how many times he mentions that I should find somebody and remarry I, it was, I think it was like seven or eight times you know and and that was so hard to to hear that because this is you know coming from the person you know that was the love of my life and and was taken from me and to hear him say he wants me to move on and for me to think about moving on was just very hard boys I don't know if I can do this part brain I need you to grow up as the leader of this family Justin, I need you also to grow up as a leader of this family. I need you to take care of your smaller brothers. Keep them together. I need you to look after mom. When you find when she does find a new father, I need you to love him like you love me. God decided it was my time, and that's okay. I don't want you guys to hate God because I'm gone. Remember that this is not, uh, it was just my time. My time was to go, and I'm okay with that because it was God's will. And I need all of you to remember to continue to pray and pray often. Don't pray for me. I'm in a good place. I need you to pray for the people who don't know God. I need you to pray that they may come to know the Lord. As I know, he kissed him goodnight one night to bed, got up early before they got up, left for work, and never came home. And so that's very hard for you know anyone to deal with. And so I think this video has given us closure and it has given us some peace. Knowing that her husband's death was not by chance, it was just his time, as the scripture says. There was peace with that. 
Why? Because God has determined the length of our lives and we're not giving a minute longer. It isn't by chance. Nothing's by chance. Where you work, where you live, who you married. And it's not by chance when you die. The only way we get to escape that is the event called the rapture, which even that we don't know the time. I think it's getting close, but we still don't know the time. And so the lesson to me is submit to this, that nothing's by chance. And certainly in this area of life, if you're not saved, what in the world are you waiting for? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed the rest of the day. Why would you hesitate to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. But if you are saved, I don't know if you, I never in my life dreamed of ever becoming a Christian, ever. I didn't even see it coming. God had mercy upon me. I never thought that he would have me be a pastor. What? Now he's really over the edge. I never thought about realizing that part of being a pastor is you do not just weddings, but funerals. And I'm not trying to compare the two. (laughs) But I have done so many funerals, I'm not joking. It has radically changed me. My very first senior pastor, that first year, I did 12 funerals. And I was never the same since. Because what it did, and still to this day, it drills into my head that verse. I'm not scared where I'm going when I die, I know through Jesus Christ I'm going straight to heaven. That's not my point. My point is when you realize that only God knows how much time you have left, and even as a Christian, this might be your last opportunity, I've learned this. Keep short accounts with God and short accounts with other people. You know why? Because it's not worth it. It's not worth holding on to that bitterness because of what you're dealing with at your work. It's not worth holding on to that grudge because of those neighbors. It's not worth holding, just being upset and mad because of that person. Because today could be your last day. Keep short accounts with God and short accounts with the people. Make peace while you can. Forgive just as in Christ God has forgiven us. And if you don't, then the alarm's going to go off and you're going to be in big trouble with God. <laughs> If that isn't enough pressure. <laughs> Do you think that's my chance? No way. And this is what James is saying. He says, you've got to get it through your heads. Christians, submit to the almighty hand of God. Consider his goodness no matter what you're going through. Not just the good times, even the challenging times. You've got to submit to it. You have to let it finish its work. You must. Don't stop it. Don't resist it. Don't run from it. Don't hate it. Don't resist it. And certainly don't shake it. Like, God, are you kidding me? He's good. And he'll never let you down. He's doing something fantastic. Because listen, if you just submit to it and say, God, I want to learn. I want to grow from this. And whatever it is you're trying to teach me, I want to get it. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen? Groundhog Day! And you're going to do it all over again. Aren't you sick and tired of living Groundhog Day? Then do what he's saying. You must let it finish its work. And you realize that when you realize things are not by chance. Now, the second thing is that uh, no Christian is exempt from suffering. But we're out of time. We'll have to deal with that, Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? 
and the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I, I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the Scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way 
that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.